They don't have guests, they have contestants. 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt is the perfect game show and talk show hybrid that you need. Check out 10 Questions exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome to the Real Fantasy Football Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I'm joined by Danny Kelly and Craig Horlbeck. DK. Yo. Russell Wilson does not want to play for you anymore. How do you feel? Is it my fault? Yes. Yeah. No, it's your fault. Well, maybe. We'll find out. Yeah. In times like this, yeah, you just got to ask yourself, like, am I to blame? Am I the reason that he doesn't want to play here anymore? Maybe indirectly because I was part of the Let Russ Cook movement that crashed and burned so spectacularly last year. I don't know. He over Is he overcooked? He's overcooked. It's <laughs> well done. Maybe I am to blame. That is, that's basically the feeling I'm having right now. Yeah. So mm. amazing report from The Athletic. Uh, this week is Mike Sando and co at The Athletic basically reported this really long report. It's worth reading. It's, Athletic is worth a subscription. But among other things, he's unhappy. He wants to be Tom Brady. Really bizarre stuff. But And then Adam Schefter followed up with a tweet that was hilarious because it was the most passive-aggressive <laughs> trade request you'll ever see. It was, uh, Russell Wilson doesn't want to be traded. But here's the teams he would play for. <laughs> It's the Bears, the Saints, the Raiders, and the Cowboys, which is a whole other list. It's a weird list, by and, the way. And you know, Craig and I, you know, we we were you know planning the show, and and it really became not about the show. It really became about Danny Kelly. Mm. DK, you're very important to us, and um, thank you. We're worried about you, man, and we were wondering. <laughs> you think you need to talk this one out, man? Yeah, I mean, I think it would make me feel better. Okay, great. Why don't you step into the, our office for some fantasy therapy? DK, it's, it's nice to see you here again, man. Yeah, it's good to see your guys' faces. I, I needed this, I think. We're all friends here. I'm, I just kind of want to rewind for a second. D when did you first become a Seahawks fan, DK? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, so I've been a Seahawks fan basically my entire life. I didn't get into the team like hardcore until like the early 2000s, I'd say. So um, I'm a relative newcomer to the team, like the 2005 Super Bowl with Matt Hasbeck and that team that lost to Craig Steelers. That was sort mm -hmm. of 
Um, a good like that season was a high point. Obviously, a very low point when they lost the Super Bowl. But from, since then, that's when I've basically been like you know a Seahawks fan. So call me a bandwagon fan if you want. I don't care. Interesting. So when did mm-hmm. Russell Wilson? When did you first grow an attachment to Russ? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'd say that very from very early in Russell Wilson's tenure as a Seahawk, everyone kind of bought into him because he dominated. He came in as a third round pick. You know, he dominated the training camp. He dominated the he he had he did this rookie camp really where he took over and the team was like super impressed because he came in, you know, took control of the huddle, ran the camp essentially this rookie camp, and then everyone was like, okay, this guy's legit. This guy's for real. He beat Matt Flynn out. Matt Flynn was an exciting. Matt Flynn was an exciting signing for Seahawks fans. People were very excited about this. You were excited then, about Matt Flynn. Yeah, and then Matt Flynn didn't start for the Seahawks. It, the, Russell Wilson just took over. Matt Flynn's the biggest con man in NFL history. Oh, what about Brock Osweiler? Look, I don't. I don't fault Matt Flynn for taking the contract that he took. He had like six games or whatever, six appearances, and he completely freaking lit it up in garbage time for the for the Packers. And then he came over to the Seahawks. Um, Based on all the interviews I heard with Matt Flynn, he seemed like a pretty cool guy. Like just chill, you know. Like mm. to go fishing, you know. You know, kind of guy yeah. that you probably like have a beer with. But wasn't that great of a quarterback? To be honest, I mean, he was he he punched above his weight in getting that contract. Put it that way. And but at the end of the day, yeah, love Russell Wilson. Have always thought he's a bit of a. I don't know what the word. I really don't know what the word is to describe Russell Wilson. Just kind of a, a different, a different dude. You know, he's never he. he I never, he's always been, it, it seems like he's always been so buttoned up and so polished from the very beginning that no one ever really got to know him as like wh- who, what kind of guy he is. So there is this sort of distance, I'd say, between, you know, Seahawks fans and Russell Wilson. They don't really know exactly what this dude is all about, but good football player, got the Seahawks a Super Bowl or helped get the Seahawks a Super Bowl anyway, and has always been, you know, basically since 2013, one of the top tier quarterbacks, I'd say, in the NFL. DK, hi, Craig here. Would you say that oh, <laughs> would you say that Russell Wilson is your favorite Seahawk of all time? No. I, he probably wouldn't be in my top 10, to be honest. He's not in your top 10. No, I mean, I think he's a very good quarterback. One of the probably the best quarterback, well, definitely the best quarterback the Seahawks have ever had, I would say. Um hmm. but like basically what I was alluding to there was like he's not the kind of guy like you love, if you put it that way. You know what I mean? He's he's so polished is so buttoned up. It's kind of, I don't know, for whatever reason, I was never just like, this guy's the best. I love Russell Wilson. I, I think he's a good player and I'm glad he's a Seahawk. But, you know, I'd say like Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett, uh, Cam Chancellor. You know, I would even, this is probably sacrilege. I'd even like throw, I love Percy Harvin. Even before he became a Seahawk, he didn't really do much for the Seahawks, but like he was awesome. What? <laughs> Wait. Is this is this all recency bias or like are you are you just so scorned by what's happened in the past two weeks that you're are you ready for Russ to walk? No, you're misinterpreting it. I'm not saying I dislike okay. Russell Wilson. I'm just saying he's not a fun character. <laughs> if you're like like if the NFL is supposed to be entertaining and you know fun, like think about the guys that I just described. You know they're fun characters. They're guys that were big mouths assholes in some cases but like the guys that you love to have on your team kind of thing like golden tate total dick to like a lot of other people like other players um showboater 
You know, Rams fans probably hate him because he would like, you know, he had this one famous touchdown where he was waving at the guy for like literally 20 yards down the field. Jalen Ramsey? And fought Jalen Ramsey, yeah. That one was deserved, <laughs> though. Uh, so you like to have those kind of guys on your team. You love when those guys are on your team. You hate them when they're not on your team. Like Richard Sherman is a perfect example. Russell Wilson is a good player, but he's he's boring, put it that way. He's a motivational quotes Instagram account that became sentient. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, but no, I'm not, but I, I don't want you to misinterpret at all. I don't dislike Russell Wilson. I like him. I think, you know, he's a, like I said, I'm glad he's on the Seahawks. You, you have to be happy when your team has a high level of quarterback because that can take you very far. That's what we're talking about here. You almost sound like Russell Wilson right here. Yeah, you sound like, wait, so what, how did you feel when you saw these reports that Russell Wilson kind of passive aggressively wants a trade <laughs> what was running through your head how did you feel to be completely honest with you a little bit apathetic <laughs> you just don't give a shit I, at this point dude this happens every time he gets around a new contract time it's been happening basically <laughs> since he's been a Seahawks quarterback uh mm. the, every offseason is just a little dramatic in terms of like you know what? This are the Seahawks wasting Russell Wilson? Blah blah blah. It just happens every offseason. Should he trade? Should he ask for a trade? Should he get traded? Uh, should he sign with someone else? Should the Seahawks? Blah blah blah. There's been so many reports over the years that I'm just like sick of it. At this point in time, the feeling I have is a little bit like I'm gonna enjoy the rest of the summer. It's it's almost like a summer relationship. My relationship with the Seahawks and Russell Wilson is like, I'm going to let the summer play out. That's this season, 2021. Yeah, it's, it's your girlfriend before you go off to your first year of college. You're like, eh, we'll see. We'll see. Fall semester goes. After that, like in 2022, if Russell Wilson is gone, so be it. I don't think the Seahawks are going to be better because of it. But like, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of tired. Talks with their Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm like really this. surprised by DK's apathy with this. <laughs> so, are you representative Seahawks fan, or is this because you're like low key, like a nihilist at heart? <laughs> no, it's probably more the latter. Okay. <laughs> so, so I guess, are, are you upset with anyone? Are you upset with Schneider, with Pete Carroll? Uh, nobody. No, not really. Look, dude, he's they've had a ten year. It's like he's been with the Seahawks for what ten years now. Hmm. Almost I mean, that's now. a good, yeah. pretty solid run there. Uh, and every year, basically, uh, except for one, they've been super competitive. Or maybe not super competitive. They've been competitive. So, I, yeah, I'm like, this, is a bit, this has been a good run. If The reason I'm a little apathetic about it is because I'm kind of, honestly, just kind of tired. And I think this is actually something that is probably more common with Seahawks fans is I'm a little bit tired of the status quo of every year we're talking about the same bullshit Every single year, the run the ball too much, blah, blah, blah. Has the game passed Pete Carroll up? Like, is Russell Wilson being held back? Is Russell Wilson an elite quarterback? I'm just so sick of the narratives. I'm not complaining that the Seahawks are good. There's a very, there's a nuance, there's nuance there. It would be interesting to see what happened if one of Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson left. It, if we could go back to the Tavares Jackson Seahawks offense, my God. Seahawks fans would probably be woken up to uh, how good they have it with Russell Wilson. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it, it, if something happens and, and this relationship is shattered after this year, then we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting at the very least. So what do you make of the dynamics here? Because I think there's two interesting things that are happening. On one hand, Russell Wilson is using his voice more and basically yeah. kind of putting out there on Dan Patrick and all these kind of media blitz He's going to be the most sacked quarterback of all time, and that sucks. Yeah. He wants to mm -hmm. play to 45. He wants to be Tom Brady, basically. Wants to be go down as the greatest quarterback ever. 
And so on one hand, he's kind of right. Like, right? Like, I mean, Pete Carroll is very conservative. And on the flip side, Russell Wilson has for a decade been about team and all these cliches and athletes and like, you know, it's all about us and not about I. And now that you're kind of seeing a crack through the facade of he really cares about his individual legacy in a way that you heard Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, uh, Cam Chancellor kind of hint at that they kind of thought he was fake a little bit. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm curious where you come out of. Do you think he's doing this for the betterment of his team, or is he more cur- is he more worried about his legacy? I would say he's he he wants his team to be great, but I think the mo- ultimate motivation is he wants to be he wants his legacy to be a, like a guy who was a champion time and time again. So is there a difference? I don't know. I you know what I mean. Like he wants to win Super Bowls. Do you think that if you gave Pete Carroll and John Schneider, who's the GM of the Seahawks, but really Pete Carroll's John Schneider's boss? Do you right. think if they gave them truth serum, they, they would maybe talk about the other way around? Everyone talks about how Russell Wilson like, is being held back. But do you also think that there are some limitations in Russ's game that hold the Seahawks offense back? Is Russ a whiny millennial? <laughs> is he a whiny millennial? <laughs> that that is that's that is exactly what I was alluding to earlier. It's like we've been having this goddamn conversation like for seven years now. Like, is Russell Wilson elevating the team or is the team elevating Russell Wilson? I I would guess that Schneider and Carroll probably be like, yeah, like there's certain things that Russell Wilson just struggles at that have held us back. And then on the other hand, you know, they probably would admit they've missed on a lot of free agents. They've missed on a lot of draft picks over the years, and they haven't done a perfect job of putting together a Super Bowl like caliber team the last few years because they've missed on those, you know, first round picks. They their first round bets basically their their pick their trades where they use their first round pick for a trade. They just haven't really worked out. Yeah, I I don't know. I think they'd probably be pretty clear-eyed about everything. So I guess I'm I'm most struck by the fact that you sound like a Bengals fan. You sound (laughs) like your team has not been relevant in 15 years. I know you're not complaining. I know you're not trying to sound that way. But you have the stoicism of like a Lions fan or somebody who not only have you been irrelevant, but you have (laughs) you have reached like peace and that you're okay with irrelevance. You're almost like a rich kid who's annoyed that he has nothing to do every Saturday because he doesn't have a job. And it's like, well, you should really look at how lucky you are because your team wins 12 games every year. I mean, look, I get that. There is, so you say I, I sound like a Bengals fan. There is a little bit of Bengalsness in the Seahawks over the last like seven years. I feel, I feel, I think they've won like one playoff game. You've won the second most games over the last 10 years to the Patriots. Yeah, I'm talking about playoffs, dude. Okay, playoffs. Look yeah. at their playoff record since they went to the Super Bowl in back 2014. Back to back years. Yeah. Yeah. So you're the one who's asking me this. I'm not complaining about the Seahawks. I just want that to be absolutely clear. DK, being, I would like you a to remain calm. Team, please. Yeah, can you, <laughs> please keep <laughs> the tone in this office down. You, this, you're accusing me of shit, Typhus. Let's all just, you know, take a deep this breath. This is getting out of hand. You need to calm yourself, <laughs> sir. No, I am serious. Put the Seahawks for a side second. Have you always just been nihilist? Did you ever believe in things and then you stopped? Or have you always been this way? No, I think actually, I think after the Seahawks lost that Super Bowl, the Patriots, that <laughs> turned me into a nihilist. That <laughs> shit just doesn't matter. I should not, I should not be emotionally invested in this as much as I was. TK, when you get pets, do you not name them? <laughs> Life is fleeting, Craig. These dogs only live 10 years. They're going to leave you in 10 years, man. So so this theme of, of 
apathy, your lethargy for the Seahawks as a fan is it seems seems incredibly real to you, which is uh, you know a little shocking considering the success your team has had the last ten years. So if if winning twelve games every season and losing in the divisional round doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, what is getting you out of the bed in the morning <laughs> as a Seahawks fan? This is a this is a leading question. I think so. I'm, I'm actually checking now to see how many times they've won. I think they've won. So they've won three playoff games in the, since 2015. So I lied. I don't know what I'm complaining about. They're a good. So that's a, that's a game every other year. <laughs> Buying into the narratives, you guys. I do feel like I just turned a corner there. The Seahawks have won. They won a playoff game in 2015, 2016. So it turns out he didn't need therapy. He just needed to look up the Seahawks record. I just needed to go on. We're charging like a thousand dollars for this session. I just needed to jog my memory. That's really all I needed to do. Um, no, but I, I really do think that I'm not even kidding. Like after the Seahawks lost that Super Bowl, I was like, I don't want to care this much. This is ridiculous. This shouldn't be this big of a part of my life. And now I'm just like, it'd be great if they win the Super Bowl, but if they don't, I'm not going to be devastated. Do you want any change? You've had Carol and Schneider and, and Russ for almost a decade. Are, is that what this is? Or, or do you want something new? You know, the other part of it that I didn't mention and is probably actually more the reason that I'm a little bit apathetic about it is Seahawks football is not fun football. <laughs> Seahawks football is ugly, shitty football for the most part. You know what I mean? Like keep this, keep the score close, run, run, pass, fuck up on third down, end up, end up squeaking out a win in the fourth quarter. You're miserable the entire game. You know what I mean? It's not like we're the chiefs where it's high flying fun or whatever. I granted, I understand they're not bad. Being bad is one thing. The Seahawks are good, but really not very fun to watch. So what would you like to see change? I would I mean it would be nice if they're fun to watch. It would be not the first nice. half of last season. You want them to go back to that. Just like so you're on Russell Wilson's side here. Yeah, the first half of last season was like bliss. That was what we've been asking for. Of course, it didn't last. Well, you know, did we fly too close to the sun? Maybe. Are the Seahawks Icarus? Maybe. And can we get back there? I don't know. I really don't know if we could ever get back to that spot because I think it's just Pete Carroll. His philosophy is very much centered around like ball control. Don't turn the ball over. The team that has that team that wins the turnover battle is going to win more often than not. So you play very close to the vest. And the result of that is like the first three quarters are miserable, just miserable, wretched, disgusting games by and large. (laughs) And even though they're good, like they're winning games, I don't know. I can't remember the last time, like <laughs> I felt happy during a Seahawks game. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where it's like, God, this is fucking terrible. I can't wait till next week. We've been doing this podcast for like years, and I don't think I ever realized how broken you are, like football wise, until right now. <laughs> it's not broken. <laughs> you you should listen to yourself. Is this like this is the most depressing podcast that we've done ever? Probably. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna get well, more people mad at me about my ap- Seahawks apathy. I think than than anything else I've ever. Well, said. Well, let's let's end on a positive note here. You didn't have, you never answered my question. What does get you out of bed in the morning as a Seahawks fan? <laughs> because like, how dare you imply I get out of bed in the Ooh, morning? That's a good question. DK Metcalf. He's like, I don't. Okay. DK Metcalf is fun as hell. Uh, maybe actually, can I just to circle all the way around? I don't want Russell Wilson to leave because that means DK Metcalf. Is not going to be nearly as good in my mind. Like it could severely dampen 
what he does best if Russell Wilson leaves. So if there's any reason that I want him to stay, it's because I want DK Metcalf to be great. And so, yeah, I think now I've just, I'm realizing now, like maybe I'm not apathetic about it. Wow. So you feel. You feel for DK Metcalf because he shares your name and for no other reason. He shares my name. He's also, by the way, this is a great segue for later in the pod. He has a huge ass chip on his shoulder because of all the hate he got for his goddamn three cone times. Uh, and he's awesome. Like he, he, everything about his personality so that we've seen is great. Like he's very positive, upbeat guy. It sounds like you like guys with personality. You're just, you're just bored. You're bored of Russ and you're bored Dude, of the team. Sports are supposed to be entertainment. Sports are supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be a distraction from real life. Absolutely. DK Metcalf is that. Russell Wilson, not so much. The problem is Russ is like Kirk Cousins off the field. He just (laughs) happens to be way more exciting on the field. It's fascinating to me. The thing about Russell Wilson is he's married to a pop star, superstar pop star. Like, you'd think he would be more exciting and have more public personality than he does. Wait, what's his nickname? Mr. Unlimited. I don't know if that's really his nickname. The self-given nickname? (laughs) No wonder, no wonder there was some rancor with the defense. Imagine playing with a quarterback who gave himself a nickname. Also, Ciara, pop star, pop star, yeah, superstar, absolutely, superstar, superstar, yeah. So you're tossing her, you're tossing around with Lady Gaga, Beyonce. Yes. Am I am I out of touch? Heifetz, back me up here. I feel like Heifetz, she's name pretty- is Heifetz, Name one Ciara song. Uh, please don't stop the music. That's Rihanna. Oh, no, it's, yeah, Supersonic. <laughs> That's supersonic. <laughs> or that's not the name of the one. It's like supersonic, tectronic. You know what I mean? And yeah, I know which yeah. one you're talking about. Yeah, well, you're talking about One Two Step. That came out in 2004. Uh, yeah, great year. <laughs> Craig, is she is she frequently played on TikTok? No, I'm. I'm. Ciara is irrelevant in the music space. I'm what? just going to say it. I, it's, this is you're you're out of your lane. This is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> here's the here's the bottom line, Heifetz. I'm feeling. I'm feeling actually more feelings for the Seahawks than I did at the beginning of this talk. Like, I want DK Metcalf to be great. That's a win. And we want you to be great, DK. We're happy that you have feelings. I feel like that was not how you were at the beginning of this session. So I feel like this was a win. Let me talk through this. Now I'm going to be, now I'm actually going to have, you know, I'm going to be invested in this shit. And you guys are going to have to really talk me through some of the, some of the lows that happen this next season. First, you got to pay the bill. We'll Venmo you. It's going to be <laughs> we'll like eleven hundred dollars because we went over money time. first, and then we'll talk. <laughs> That's the fantasy therapy. We also want to talk about the combine. We can do mm. combine therapy. I mean, the combine was canceled. We're actually supposed to be at the combine right now. Another victim of cancel culture, the combine. <laughs> God damn it, Craig. <laughs> Maybe they just put it in Texas. That would have just kept on, kept on going. Victim right on time. Uh, let's ask Greg Abbott. Okay, so the combine is canceled, and we were kind of just wondering, and we were talking, reminiscing about last year when you could be human beings and go to bars and stuff. And then we started mm. talking, and we were basically like, so the combine's canceled. Does that even matter? <laughs> Do we right. care that the combine's canceled? So, TK. Like, does does you're the draft expert. Does this even change anything? Really? 
Honestly, the so the thing that it actually makes me think is teams might be better at drafting because there's no combat. Because <laughs> <laughs> then they because they just have to rely on the tape now, which is actually what matters. I mean, the combine look, the combine is, and I, I think I've written this over the years. The combine's like a pass fail thing. It, it you it's you it's these players hitting athletic benchmarks to show teams that they have NFL athleticism. You know what I mean? Like, And there's a very low bar for that. If you don't meet a certain low bar as an NFL athlete, then they're like, okay, maybe we got to reconsider. Maybe he was just playing against extremely slow people in, you know, Division Three or something. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And so it's really, the combine to me is is not about who's the fastest, who who can jump out of the gym or whatever. That stuff like, you can see all that shit on tape. The, what what really matters is like these guys are NFL athletes. It's it's a pass fail thing. I, I think you're dead right. The the whole combine is the tail wagging the dog. The fact that it's on <laughs> television is unbelievable. I mean, forty years ago when ESPN wanted to televise the draft, they told the commissioner Pete Rozelle that, and he said, "Why would you want to do that?" As in, like it's incredibly boring. Now they televise the draft combine, and the only way to justify it is to make everything backward, as you just said. The athletic testing is to get people a threshold. Are you fat? It's like a roller coaster. Are you tall enough to ride the ride? Are you fast enough to be in the NFL? (laughs) We obsess with the top end scores. The NFL people are looking at the low end scores. And then also the athletic testing is what we watch on TV and stuff. That is the least important thing of the weekend. They created the combine to centralize medical testing because they just want to look at these guys' shoulders and like injuries and recovery and stuff. That's what they're there for. And then they're like, well, why we got all these here, these guys here, we'll interview them. And sure, we'll also test them. But like, we look right. at it backward. We focus on the tests and the athletic testing. You see these weird push notifications of weird questions they were asked. And we don't hear anything about their medical records. Everything about the process is completely backward. So do we think that's the media's fault? Like if the media couldn't cover the combine, do you think players would get evaluated differently? I, I think it's, it's a matter of the NFL decided to turn it into an event to dominate the more time on the calendar. And then more and more media members, including us, started going. And then you just have all these like media members. It's basically an industry convention, but for people with verified check marks. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a networking event. It's a networking event for Who's people with check marks. So they tweet about it. So it just becomes a thing. It's not a thing. It's like it's fetch. <laughs> You're trying to make it a thing. <laughs> Hyvitz is trying to make the joke about fetch a thing. <laughs> Stop trying to make it happen, I think. Stop trying to make the joke about the joke in the movie, I think. He's just mad because you had the burn book, and then he's like, I'm trying to, you know, he's trying to jump <laughs> Try out mean girls, Craig. Yeah. DK, so I thought about it. This is, to me, how I feel. Tell me if this makes sense. Is the combine like a movie trailer? <laughs> Where they show you all the flashy shit, the action sequences, attractive people kissing or whatever. Looks right. awesome. But it turns out that it actually means nothing. And the movie could suck because even though the trailer looks good. Or the movie could be awesome even though the trailer looks good. <laughs> I think, I don't know if I really track that analogy. But I do think what you're what you're saying makes sense in the sense that... Um, Maybe like a few of the highlights of the combine are meaningful where you have these outlier guys that are absurdly good athletes or terrible athletes. Those matter. But yeah, everything else in between doesn't matter. Like I'm saying like if it looks good, that doesn't necessarily mean the player's good. Oh, oh, that. Okay, that point. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good point. Because when you see a good trailer, 
now every trailer looks good now. It doesn't mean the movie's good. You actually have to see the movie. So when you watch a guy run a four three three and put up however much on the bench, like that doesn't just that doesn't mean he's going to be a good player. Well, yeah. I think it's the yeah. opposite though. It's like watching a trailer after you've already seen the movie because we've seen these guys play college football <laughs> for three fucking years and then see Henry Ruggs run a forty yard dash. You're like, holy shit, Henry Ruggs is fast. No shit, we knew he was fast. Did you watch him play football for two yeah. years? Didn't you see the movie Downsizing with Matt Damon? It's terrible. The trailer's great. Don't yeah, watch the trailer. Like watching a trailer and then changing your mind about the movie you already saw. <laughs> that's what the combine is. <laughs> it should jog your memory, and that's it. <laughs> but DK, I think that you made a good point about how sometimes players get counted twice, and that's what's yeah. ridiculous about the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of the big, uh, I guess, worry or, or problem with the combine is not necessarily that we hype these guys up for being fast. It's counting that twice. If you have a guy who you didn't think was very fast or didn't realize was that fast, and he comes in and runs really well, jumps really well, then you're like, okay, maybe I should go back and look at his tape, and maybe I misjudged this guy a little bit. But it, like the, the Henry Ruggs one is a good example where it's like, dude, we knew he was going to be fast, and he was fast, and then everyone was like, oh my God, he's fast. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's exactly. like, we already knew he was fast. We don't have to count it again. You know, but now um, it's on paper. Ooh, well, it's, it's two factor <laughs> authentication, authentication. And <laughs> yeah, that like a, you type in your password and then, you know, whatever websites like there's a 99% chance it's you. But like type in this phone, we, this code we texted to you just in case. Right. That's the combine. It's like the tape is the password and they do the testing for the 1% chance that the tape is completely wrong because they don't want to get hacked. They don't want some third round pick they had who played in D3, as Craig said, to just be completely slow, way slower than they thought. But the point is, it's merely to confirm what they've been watching already. It's like, so I'm, to put that point, DK, are there some examples of players like DK Metcalf where the combine has perhaps unfairly shaded their stock or are there some players yeah. where the combine is completely inflated player stock yeah so starting out with metcalf and i think he's like the one of the more perfect examples i will say to start out he did have some injury history he had a broken back in college so his fall into the second round late second round was not only because of his three cone like that's a little bit yeah, of a broken neck's a big like, deal yeah so his his injury history was part of that too but i do think there was a lot of concern around the fact that he had and this is per I saw these stats for Hayden Winks. His three cone was second percentile. So among all <laughs> combine testers ever, he was in the second percentile. Wait, just receivers, his, right? Not like including left tackles. Sorry, yes, among receivers. Yeah. <laughs> and then his imagine? short shuttle, his short shuttle, which is the back and forth thing, like a you know the little um, just lateral moving. Essentially, it was third percentile. So his lateral agility, which teams do pay attention to this stuff. You know what I mean? They like guys who can move around. It's like a football skill to be able to change direction quickly. These are terrible numbers. He's like Derek Zoolander. He can't turn. <laughs> yeah. But I think what got lost in the shuffle among all the, I guess you'd call it negative hype around um, around DK Metcalf. And by the way, I was at, we were at the Combine this year, that year, and there was like a palpable buzz when he ran a 4-3-3 at 228 pounds. Everyone was freaking out. Yeah. Everyone was really, really excited. Like in the in media room, there was a buzz. And then like a half an hour later, however long it was until he ran his three cone, everyone was like, never mind. Like this guy sucks. You know what I mean? It was, it was just so But in funny. reality, both reactions were incorrect and it should Correct. just be somewhere in the middle. <laughs> totally. Um, and if you watch his tape, I mean, what he was doing, where he was winning was 
you know, go routes, slants, uh, crossing routes where he just outruns defenders, you know, and we've seen that happen in the NFL. All that stuff is manifest in the NFL. This guy was an 87th percentile size um, in terms of six foot three. And this is for Hayden Winks. 228 pounds, 95th percentile, 433, 95th percentile, 40 and a half inch vert, 93rd percentile, 134, uh, 134 inch broad jump, 97th percentile. So his explosion and size were all 95th and above, essentially. And everyone kind of looked past that because they're like, this guy is a historically terrible at the agility drills, but he doesn't run those kind of routes and, and he's perfect fit for the Seahawks. I remember this when the Seahawks took him, I was like, he couldn't have landed in a better situation. Well, maybe one or two teams. I mean, his quarterback could have a little more personality. <laughs> There's a few teams that I think he could still, he could be very, very effective on. But like the Seahawks offense specifically, where which is very go route, deep ball explosiveness, um, play action where you're you're having him like try and just get past the defense. All that stuff, like a perfect fit for him. So um, I think the lesson here is like what Craig just said is, Neither of these reactions probably were correct. Like, we knew he was fast, and we knew he couldn't really turn that fast. Like, he wasn't super agile. Um, and it's the guys, these outliers, that get beaten up so much because, like I said, the benchmark, people people probably viewed this as, like, he's not passing the benchmark in terms of athleticism, his ability to change direction. Um, that turned out to be completely wrong. And another guy that that... I think is a perfect example of this. He's actually in the news. It's not a fantasy player, but Orlando Brown, the tackle um, for the Ravens, who I, I, just off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly, but I think he was getting like first and second round buzz coming into the combine. And then he put out all time, all time terrible numbers, you know, in, in athletic testing and all this stuff. And he fell because of that. You know, teams were like, I think teams bought into this idea that he's just not athletic enough to be an NFL player, but it wasn't true. He's a really good right tackle. In fact, he wants to be a left tackle now. Maybe the new uh, kind of advanced analytics is to ignore them. I think well, so that, that there's something there. DK said yeah. in the beginning where the fact that this combine not happening is in this perverse way maybe going to help teams because they can't <laughs> overthink it. And like I think of funny exercises. Are they low-key? Would the draft be more accurate if they drafted March 1st? I'm only yeah. half kidding, but I'm kind of there. Serious. There is research that has looked into... The stats, I would say the combine stats that teams overweight. And uh, my buddy Scott Barrett from Fantasy Points did this. I, I think he, he, did a, he did a study on it where it was basically, you know, what are the things that matter? What are the metrics that matter? And he found that the faster guys, like the fastest receivers at the combine, actually, it's negatively correlated to, the, to their production in their career. That's Like how fast they ran. Um, because the teams count it twice. Like the teams put too much emphasis on how fast they were at the 40. You know what I mean? And so I don't know exactly, don't quote me on exactly like the, the exact correlation was, but I remember talking to Scott about this. It was basically like his research showed that teams actually paid too much attention to the 40. They should just throw out 40. Unless it's like a 4-7, you should just throw out the 40 and not pay attention to it. Um, and I mean, we see this time and time again, like John Ross, Darius Hayward Bay, you know, Henry Ruggs, the jury's still out, but not a good not a good first season. Uh, Mikol Hardman, who was kind of like this, he didn't do anything hardly in college, no, not much production, but just very, very explosively fast. He got taken above DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, and Darius Slayton. All, all four of those guys are also very fast, by the way, um, but just better in college. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just teams overweight that thing. And, and it's important to remember, like, 
production in, in colleges were very, very important. And all these other things that are much more important than like how fast it can run 40 yards. So you're saying that running 40 yards for the sprinter's, spe- uh, sprinter's position without pads or holding a football in shorts <laughs> is not indicative of whether you can actually like succeed in the NFL as a wide receiver? Is that what you're telling yeah, me? Yeah, that's pretty much wow. what I'm saying. Yep. Shocking. DK, if you had to power rank the stats that get inflated at the combine but actually don't really matter, how would you do it? Yeah, I would say... Um, 40-yard dash for receivers is definitely up there as one of the least important things. Um, that's a perfect example to me of a threshold test where if you are faster than 4.6, great, move along. Like, you don't have to pay any more attention to it. You know what I mean? If you're slower than 4.6, like if you're a 4.7 guy, that's a problem. It can be a problem. It's not always a problem, but it can be a problem. Um, and that's where you have to look deeper at the tape and be like, is this guy just a slow tester is he really field fast and actually daniel jeremiah tweeted this the other day which i thought was very interesting and he said teams are basically going to stop looking at the 40 when it comes to certain positions i believe he said the receiver position um, but all positions in general with all this new gps technology that they have where you can tell how fast a guy is running on the field that's really what matters is how fast that is, is this so guy much running? more important yeah how fast is he on the field you have so many sample sizes. How how many times does a player run the 40, like, officially? Like, twice? God, I mean, think about how many times, like, if you go out for a jog and you, like, want to run yeah. a mile or two, like, think about how much your times vary, just, like, based on a day. How you're feeling. Like Also, like, they should ha- hold a fucking football. Or Put have them in a helmet. On. How <laughs> yeah, are they not holding a football? It. When is a or wide receiver? Ball. It's insane. Your 40 doesn't count unless you catch it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, that's the thing. Like, I don't care how fast you run. Catch a ball, hold the ball. It's insane. Like, wear shoulder pads. I don't know. It's it's insane to me. The whole thing's nuts. I think to, <laughs> to, to that point, I think it's important to remember and, and think about this when we're talking about 40 times is it's gotten to be this whole cottage industry where guys are training players for the combine. You, you start, mm. you stop training for football for like yeah, four it's months. Insane to train for the combine tests so you can do really well at these combine tests. And that includes, you know, the the very meticulous attention paid to, like, your form on your start of your 40-yard dash, which is extremely important. If you get off to a bad start, you're going to fuck up your 40. It's like you're just going to run a slow 40. And so it's, like, it's so ridiculous oh, Interesting. You, yeah. you build up, like, popcorn muscles. <laughs> so the 40-yard dash doesn't matter. So generally what are some of the things that do matter and that you look at you're our draft guru here at the ringer you can check out dk's draft guide at nfldraft.theringer.com so number one thing is obviously tape and like sitting there and actually watching right what else matters so before i get to the things that i think actually do matter in terms of the overall breadth of like college football and stats and everything there are i think I would say the combine stats can tell you things like the vertical, the explosion one. So the vertical and the broad jump, generally speaking, teams do look at that stuff because it talks, it, it tells you how explosive these players are. If you're otherworldly explosive in the broad or the, the vertical, I think teams definitely look at that as a good thing. Especially Some defensive teams, end. Yeah, sure. defensive end, defensive back, um, you know, some... is some, Punter? Yeah, totally. No, Punter. <laughs> Some of these things do matter. I'm not saying they're not, I, I'm not saying they're irrelevant. I'm saying teams overweight them. There's a difference. You know, they look at these stats maybe a little bit too much. And, and what really do matter more are your tape. And in some cases, like your statistics in college, your ability to produce your production. Are you a good football player? 
So there's a, a lot of ways to like measure this. When it comes to dynasty football and fantasy football, I think the dynasty community, the dynasty world is actually pretty damn good at predicting which receivers are going to be good in the NFL. They've, they've narrowed some, some like very predictive stats. Um, and I'll go through a few of them. So starting out, I don't know exactly how, how everybody, you know, calculates this. It's a little different here and there, but basically it's the amount of, it's your percentage of your team's total yards and touchdowns. It's so the total production on offense. And the, the basic idea is if well, you're, percent? are you a what go-to percentage? guy? What's that? You said 30%. Well, so 30% is like a, is a, a very good number. And, and then as you get into like lower than 20%, it's like, okay, maybe w- w- you have to start asking questions like, why wasn't this guy more involved in this offense? Or why did he not have more production? Things like so that. So it's just like usage rate. So are, are, yeah, are they, yeah. The, are they the clear number one option on their team? Are they exactly. the main yeah. valve their offense runs through? And the way that this is helpful is instead of just looking at the raw stats, it gives you an idea of what like their percentage of usage in that team's offense because every team's de- offense is a little bit different. They're, some teams are not Alabama and scoring 150 touchdowns or however many touchdowns they score every year. Yeah, Ole Miss had DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, and they combined for like 1,200 yards <laughs> yeah. or something crazy. It's so funny. Doesn't this all feel so obvious? Like yes, we're, yes, we're like. Or like the things that matter are watching the tape, and if the team uses the player a lot, that usually means they're good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it is. It's all logic. It's very logical. But wait, wait, wait. How fast are they if they run in a straight line without pads <laughs> <laughs> or the football? So another stat that's basically very similar to this. It, it's production based, but it's breakout age, and that is essentially the year in which you eclipsed a benchmark dominator rating. In other words, like the first year, how old were you when you got 20 plus percent of your team's offensive production? And generally speaking, if you're younger, it's better. Like the younger that you're able to be a star on your offense and the star on your team's offense, it indicates that you're a good player. <laughs> like you're yeah, talented. I mean, if a, kid, if a kid graduates from Harvard at 17... Odds are he's smarter than the guy who graduates <laughs> right. at 22. The way, yeah, exactly. So 18-year-old breakout age, 19-year-old breakout age, if you're doing that, a lot of the time you're doing it against older players, you know, guys that have been a little more experienced because you're a freshman or sophomore, and it means you're a good player a lot of the time. Like, odds are it means you're a very good player. And the way that I always think about it is if you don't have a breakout age or if you have a low baker, like if you have a high breakout age, if, in other words, if you're like 21, 22 years old when you finally break out and become the star on your team, I always think of it this way. It's like, there's an old Mitch Hedberg joke. If he, he's like, man, I wish I could go back and and I, I'm going to totally butcher it, but I wish I could go back and play baseball now. I'd kick some fucking ass. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like basically if you're an, if you're a high school junior playing against eighth graders, <laughs> You're going to fucking dominate those kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's the same idea. It's different in college Billy because Madison everybody's... <laughs> now yeah. you're all in big, big trouble. Yeah. And so, um, you know, th- the perfect example is this year, Devontae Smith. You know, I don't think he's actually the greatest example because he's been good for three years now. But um, he did have a slightly older breakout age and he is now 22 going into the NFL so um very related to the breakout age thing is like early declare receivers generally speaking have a much better track record in the NFL than late declares like senior declares it's just if you're a senior if you're a ju- if you're a junior declare 
that means you're already kicking ass earlier in your career at in the college level. You know what I mean? So it's all connected to like the breakout age. Yeah, you're basically saying that nobody gets worse un unless you get hurt. Nobody gets worse at a skill from 18 to 23 if you practice it a lot. And <laughs> right, so, right. for example, the, the example to me is you mentioned Devontae Smith, who basically had like 1,850 yards this season and like 23 touchdowns. But then you have Jamar Chase for LSU, who two years ago had mm -hmm. basically the same stat line. He had like 1,800 yards and 20 touchdowns. So 18 versus 1,850, 20 versus 23. But the difference is that Devontae Smith did it at 22 and Jamar Chase did it at 19. So yeah. it's not fair to compare Jamar Chase to Devontae Smith. It's how good will Jamar Chase be three years from now, implying he has a lot more to grow because he's not exactly. going to get worse and he's probably not going to plateau either. And that's exactly. one, and not to mention he's bigger. But so that's one reason I actually kind of like Jamar Chase more is that's where I find breakout age really compelling. Yeah. And, you know, I think people will say, pe some people in the dynasty world treat it as gospel, and that's totally fair. Like, I understand that. You're trying to do, you're basically, it's it's like what an NFL team does. It's like you're trying to maximize your ability to hit on all your picks. If you eliminate guys because they have a really low breakout age or no breakout age, like Henry Ruggs last year did not have a breakout age. He never broke out for Alabama. So, like, if you want to use that, I totally get it. I don't use it because it's not always black and white. There are extenuating circumstances. There's gray. There's shades of gray and everything. And then there's other there's other stats you have to take into account. But at the end of the day, all these stats are is a are, are a way to hopefully up your hit rate on on your draft picks, right? Like it's not a, a sure thing in any direction. There's some of these guys with great like analytical profiles don't pan out. John Ross, great analytical profile, did not pan out. But then, and then on Yet. the other hand. John Ross, I swear to God, there's a John Ross cult at the ringer. Heifetz hates John Ross. I hate that all of you are obsessed with this guy who sucks. No offense to John Ross. All offense to you guys. Offense to John Ross. You just said he sucks. What are you talking about? No offense. <laughs> he freaking does. <laughs> you can't just say no offense and then say anything, Heifetz. <laughs> I, I said, with all due respect, I don't care. A, what is it? A velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it out. <laughs> um, by the way, to sum all this up, draft capital is maybe the most important one. So you, you have mean to where take they're those taking two in the stats. Yeah, you have to take those two stats and then combine it with draft capital, which is like you said, it's where they're taking in the draft, and use all that information to decide if you know this guy's worth, say, a first round pick or whatever. With the idea being of where they're taking that, it doesn't really matter how much research you personally have done. The NFL teams actually making these picks have invested literally yeah. like a thousand times more energy into this and yes. that they're the fact that this player was taken that high is in and of itself evidence that this player is probably good that plus and correct me if I'm wrong is this selection bias they're also going to get way longer chance to do their thing in the nfl if they're an earlier yeah. pick they're gonna like get Rashad penny shouldn't be in the nfl but will be because the Seahawks <laughs> took him in the first round pretty much well. pretty much <laughs> <laughs> a lot of numbers suggest he's been quite efficient. <laughs> By the way, Penny, we can use this as a segue too because it's a perfect example. Like Penny, analytically speaking, is an astoundingly good like running back for Dynasty. He was a first-round pick. He had like incredible production. He ran fast. He was like a 4-4-3 guy at 220 pounds, 220 pounds. We just said pounds. 4 yard like, dashes all... don't matter. Yeah, look, this is a perfect example of why it's anchored in everyone's brain. We just said they don't fucking care. Who cares? This is my fucking point, Heifetz. That they're not. It's not cut and dry. It's not oh, ever going to give you the exact perfect pick. You cannot rely on this one hundred percent at the end of the day. 
the other thing is the Seahawks, when they picked, I remember this very distinctly, when the Seahawks picked Rashad Penny, they said, oh yeah, he had one of the highest injury scores we've ever had, durability scores. You know, like he was really durable in college and he immediately gets hurt. <laughs> he's been hurt every year. He's been with Seahawks. Like, it's just like, look, no one can fucking predict the future. What you're trying to do is increase the odds that you're going to hit on these players. So that's the lesson really is that it, none of these are guarantees is my point. Well, it sounds like there's diminishing returns for how much research you do on these prospects. And eventually you just start to get a tongue, your tongue gets tied and you're just actually running in circles because you've looked at all these numbers and you're trying to figure out what matters the most. <laughs> but like, I would almost respect now if a coach is like, I watched these two guys on tape. I just kind of had a feeling this one was better. I, I just liked them better. Maybe, maybe. I, I would say if you are if you need a tiebreaker, go with the analytically correct guy, the analytically superior guy, for sure. I think I over think the tape there there's probably oh he's there, saying if you if you're if you're stuck if there's a tie on tape like if you can't decide then you lean on some then you maybe pick the younger guy or you pick the guy with the better use or dominate I also think the, the the really important part of this though that is completely absent from this conversation and is one of the key reasons that this whole analytics thing will never perfectly match up with what teams do is that we we don't do the personality stuff we don't meet the we don't meet right, the people right. we're not talking to like their support system their coaches all this stuff i mean i the espn had this great really long oral history on kobe bryant's first workout and basically argues it's like the bookend it's like the 60 point game was the last moment kobe had in the nba and basically his workout for the lakers was legendary and jerry west basically watched this workout and watched him dominate this workout and said, this is the next Michael Jordan. We have to get this kid. And he basically said, whatever it is, I saw Larry Bird had it. I saw Michael Jordan had it. Kobe had it. And obviously you're not finding Kobe in the NFL draft, but the point is there is something about finding young, talented players who you just believe mentally spiritually are determined yeah. to get better. I think that is low key one of the huge reasons the DK Metcalf thing was passed over is everyone I think also failed. He's this physical specimen and he's fast and also underrated. He just has a really good attitude. And yeah. that's the part of this that is incalculable. And I think that a really underrated part of what teams are looking at in the draft process. They want guys who love football and want to get better. Yeah. Well, I mean, that not that always boiled down to that? It's, I mean, Bill Simmons, the secret. It's, I mean, it, it yeah, has exactly. nothing to do with the sport. It's, it's all about how it's all about your mind. Yeah, I mean, it's I think true. Very, very generally, very basically, I've heard this. This is sort of a cliche, but whatever. You know, there's some guys that that just want to be football players because it's cool to be a football player and or whatever. And then there's some guys that love football. So you can you see the nuance there? Um, and so I think that it's important. Like teams definitely invest a lot of time and effort into trying to find those. I think it's a very difficult thing to do at the end of the day because you know who, how can you predict what someone's going to be? You're going to give them a, a Myers Briggs test or whatever to find their personality. Is that what it's called, Myers Briggs? Yeah. yeah, but now it's just like a Harry Potter BuzzFeed test, and it's like the same thing. Basically. <laughs> yeah, what house, house are you? Are, in Gryffindor. Which house like, are you? you know, that's like the you don't want one. those goddamn Hufflepuffs or whatever. You want Slytherin guys. You want dickheads to be on your. You want because they're going to like cheat. And, what is um. What's Russell Wilson? What house is he in? Oh, Ravenclaw. Or is he a Hufflepuff? He <laughs> wants know. to be a Gryffindor, but he like my, he wants to be a Gryffindor really bad. I've, I've never seen in. Harry Potter, so I have no idea. Oh, you read the books? <laughs> no, don't care. Wow, that's you know you know generally what we're talking about though. Craig just is afraid of being seen as a nerd. That's what really house in what house of Game of Thrones it would Russell Wilson be in? It's Harry Potter. We just complete Mallory Rubin is devastated. Listen, so Slytherin just, is like the douchebag alpha. Ravenclaw's the dork, Hufflepuff's the 
the loot the wuss and then what's the other one? Oh, the hufflepuffs i actually don't know either but are they like the sort of free spirits i thought they're like the lame lame ones i don't like actually losers. know the definition for hufflepuffs <laughs> like i don't really know how to define hufflepuff we just need to do the what's test. the what's the isn't there a fourth one gryffindor harry potter like all the oh, characters and gryffindor is like what the all-american like the yeah they're like the so gryffindor like, or the courageous takers. or whatever yeah courageous Russell Wilson wants to be a Gryffindor. That's he wants to, but I don't think he actually is. Well, he <laughs> He's a wannabe. He certainly Gryffindor. try hard. So he wants <laughs> we, to be Harry. We, we, we should put every quarterback in in a category. That we actually should. Like we should probably we, that, that we definitely will do that. That's a really good idea. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say and bookend this discussion is one: Jared Goff, Hufflepuff. Secondly, Goff, a thing I've never been able to get out of my head with Jared Goff, is that all his teammates at Cal said that he was awful at Madden. And I could never get over that. <laughs> what? I couldn't get over that. And oh, like, no. I know it's really unfair. <laughs> he's a like, shitty play calling. Yeah, and and yeah, to be fair, one of the reasons is they were like, he's just, you know, he always like was annoyed that the player couldn't actually throw the, like he was like, just loft the ball and that he was annoyed that the bullet passes. But still, a quarter, like if you actually you intrinsically understand skills. coverages, Madden <laughs> should be really easy for you. And like, I just, Never got over that. And like, that's kind of what I'm talking about here with just like, I, I just blows my mind that an NFL quarterback who likes video games could be bad at bad at it. And that's the kind of stuff that you don't really get in the draft process. That's an amazing story. I will say though, to counter that slightly, Brett Favre, I remember reading this story about Brett Favre who didn't know what coverages were called. Like someone told him no, about no a idea. cover two. Someone told him about a cover two, and he didn't know what that meant. Dude, straight up, Peter King <laughs> did a video. He's a Hall of Famer. Well, so He's Patrick, like, ah, that's when they, they got the two guys in the back. I yeah. got to fix that. <laughs> is that what you call it? And they're covering. So is that cover two? <laughs> no. So Peter. So the comp for Patrick Mahomes coming to the draft was like Brett Favre. Andy Reid was like, this is Brett Favre yeah. again because he coached Brett Favre. And so Peter King at NBC basically got Mahomes and Favre in a like a field and had them have a catch because they had never met. Have them throw and as hard as they can. Brett Favre have literally said Patrick Mahomes is like me, but like Pat knows what he's doing back there. And I had no clue. <laughs> like he was like, Brett Favre's like, I had no plan. I was just chucking it around. Brett Favre's just running go routes on Madden. Just chucking yeah, it around. Yeah, no, he just called time. the play. You're just like, oh, that one's orange. I'll throw it there. He was, he didn't <laughs> know. Forrest Gump. Good for him. Run, Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> Playing quarterback on Madden is really hard. Like if you actually tried to play quarterback in Madden, like a real quarterback, and like try and say hike and like watch three wide receivers, see the one that's open and pass it to him. Really difficult. Most of the time, you just know who you're going to throw to before you say hike. It's almost like it's the most popular sport in yeah. the country of 330 million people, and yet we can't really find more than 12 people who are good at it at <laughs> yeah, a given time. Oh, well, I think it's crazy that you can, even in a video game, it's fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to get hit or worry about JJ yeah. Watts going to hit you when you're a kid. I'm in my explode. sweats and I can't do it. Yeah, by God, the way, can you imagine getting tackled? That would suck. Can we take a quick aside here back to Russell Wilson land? JJ Watt is in the NFC West now. God damn it. Like, yeah, we didn't get to how this many, in therapy. How many freaking pass rushers are we going to get to the NFC West? Like, now he's got to face JJ Watt twice, Aaron Donald twice, plus Chandler Jones on the on Chandler Jones Watt's tweeted, I feel bad for Russell Wilson. Seriously, <laughs> man. I'm so, oh I, man. Anyways, I think the Cardinals did a good job only signing Watt for two years because, I mean, I think yeah. Watt's. A bit of a shell of himself. He's kind of well, washed. Yeah. Like I don't he's, think this is as big of a signing as it sounds like. I don't think he's washed. He's definitely not what he used to be. But I still think he's. I a think good he's player. played half the yeah. half the games possible in the last four years of his career. Yeah, 
to finish out, to, I want to go back to the uh, to the metrics thing. Are you guys? Did you guys want to keep talking about um, Brett Favre, or should we should we move back to the? A couple more minutes on Madden. <laughs> Tell <laughs> yeah, me. So I think the new metric, the analytic that we're looking for, is we should have all the quarterbacks play Madden. And it, yeah, it's the same thing the, as like the combine itself and the spirit. It's not about who's the best. It's are you good enough to play quarterback? Like, are you if you can't like consistently beat the CPU on like pro, <laughs> you are not you're not an NFL quarterback. Yeah. What is um what is Trent Dilfer's camp called? I want to do the same thing for Madden with the top quarterback <laughs> prospects. Where I bring them into a, a house and we make it a reality show and they just do Madden tournaments. That's actually not a it's bad actually idea. not a bad idea. So, sticking with quarterbacks, honestly, and that is actually a great segue because, the, to me, there's not a lot of things that you can really look at with a quarterback that will tell you if he's good. I mean, we've seen in the history of quarterbacks over the years, it's a crapshoot, man. It's fucking impossible to predict this. I will say a couple things that are big. I think that are important generally, and Josh Allen does not fall into his camp. But accuracy metrics are important. Accuracy at all three levels of the field. Um, you can just look at adjusted completion percentage is one way of doing that. But PFF has some more advanced ones like on on target rate and things like that. And you know, they, they even do something where they have like a little heat map of where they're hitting their receivers in stride and things like that. So like accuracy matters uh, some. Uh, obviously, Josh Allen is sort of the outlier in this case because he was wildly inaccurate in college. And now all of a sudden, you just can't miss. So I don't know what what that's all about, but um, <laughs> the other thing that's important to look at is starts and total experience. Like um, football out, football outsiders does really good research with this with their Q base metric. Um, the what metric? It's called Q base. I, I think it had a different name. Before okay, I was they worried there was like a football it. conspiracy theory or something. No, no, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> not, not like, what did you say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but basically, it's it's like they look at a, a number of different metrics for quarterback to, to predictivity, uh, like predicting quarterback, you know, productivity in the NFL, blah blah blah. And total experience actually is is a good one to look at. Like, how many starts does this guy have in college? And Trubisky is a great example of why you're worried about that and why that can be a bad thing. Is like Trubisky kind of had this meteoric rise, in North Carolina, and only had X amount of starts under his name. Like he was a one-year starter, couldn't beat out the guy in front of him the season before, before that. All these are these massive, massive red flags that the Bears just ignored. Um, but you know, a lot of people could have told you like this is something to avoid. So when it comes, well, to you could say the same for Joe Burrow, couldn't you? Yes, and I think the but that would screw up the what he was trying to say, bit. and that yeah. you, like you can't like what, what are you gonna D- does it? I mean, like so I had this conversation actually with a friend the other day, like. Are we sure Joe Burrow's good? Oh yeah, this it's Let's March. Let's go. Are we? Turn on he, him. He he played eight games and tore his knee in half. I don't know. I guess we're not yeah, sure. So but you're saying you don't solid. know. <laughs> well, but that's a loaded take. I mean, when you say yeah. "Are you sure blank is good," that means they're bad. We need to bring back the the the, the t- at least the two point five-year moratorium on judging quarterbacks because we are now it's so in the opposite like 10 years ago it was like these guys didn't even freaking play as rookies and 10 years later we're like we're trying to throw two off the bus because he wasn't great while his coach is pulling him in and out meanwhile he was less than a year removed from like a bo jackson level hip injury 
And we're like, oh, fuck, idiot. Didn't even play good the next year. <laughs> the, the idea that we're judging any of these dudes, I'm like ready to judge. Like DK and I were on the Ringer NFL show where we're doing a draft pod every Friday. And we were talking about if it's even time to judge Baker yet. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's like, like definitely by this season. But I, we're just... You know, it's just you millennial culture, just, you know, now, 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 need everything right now. It's like, you know what? I think, DK, your generation could benefit from some patience. If Trevor Lawrence sucks at Madden, I'm out. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to throw some some numbers at you. Joe Burrow as a rookie, 22nd. We're, are we doing this? No, oh, we're just, actually I want, talking about Joe Burrow is good. We're, I'm giving you some context. Okay. Did you not hear right. my whole speech? I'm giving you some context for why I did the patented ringer question. Are we sure okay. Joe Burrow is good? Okay. For the record, I love Joe Burrow, and I think he's going to be good, but I'm saying he was 22nd per PFS passing grade, 6.7 yards per attempt. He was the 20th-ranked quarterback in a clean pocket passer rating, and he was 9 of 48 on deep passes as a rookie. See, it wasn't a great I, rookie season. Dude, dude, dude. I feel like we just had an hour-long pod about stats, <laughs> yeah. and then we just are just throwing it all out the window right now. <laughs> That offensive line was the worst offensive line in the entire NFL, basically. 20th in clean pocket passer rating. Yeah, but let me clean tell you pocket. this. He's a rookie. Okay, but how about this? If, you, if you're getting sacked and hit the most in the league, the one time you have a clean pocket, that's not the same as when you always have exactly. a clean pocket. Like, you're still terrified 24-7. You don't know if it's going to be a clean pocket. 100% what Craig said. The, if Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, quote-unquote, clean pockets, is not equal to the clean pockets Tom Brady got because, <laughs> to, like, you get a rhythm in the clean pocket. Joe Burrow gets a clean pocket, and it's just like he has trust issues. If, if Joe Burrow gets his clock cleaned for the first 45 minutes of a game and then gets a clean <laughs> pocket in the fourth, like, I don't think we can expect him to throw a dime. I just, I like getting, I like getting Craig worked up about Joey covers. Yeah, you're riling us up. <laughs> just, we're all riled now. It's a rival city right here. I was playing devil's advocate. I love Joe Burrow. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I think I'm the problem is that when you joke around, your tone doesn't change at all, and I don't know. You're when like you're just Russell Wilson, DK. Thing. You're a lot more like Russ than you think you are. <laughs> God yeah. damn it! What house is Joe Burrow in? Uh, that's a good question. I don't I mean, know he's him. A Gryffindor. He's I mean, probably he's a Gryffindor. I mean, I mean, he's probably a Gryffindor. I mean, after the season yeah. he had, he's a Gryffindor. He's Am like I allowed to weigh Harry in, Potter. even though I've never seen any of the Harry Potter? I've seen the movies. I, 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 I mean, you should really like get off your high horse. You haven't seen Lord of the Rings. You haven't seen Harry Potter. Anything that you're like, oh, I'll be like a nerd. You don't watch. It has nothing to do with a high horse. I've watched all of Game of Thrones. Harry Potter, for some reason, as a child, did not interest me, so I didn't watch it. Highly recommend. <laughs> it's a beautiful story that has brought many a tear to my eye and is a cultural touchstone. Everybody that says it's Star Wars just refurbished. No, it's completely so, wrong. What? No, it's okay. cool. Oh, we're just going to do binge mode here for a second, aren't we? Okay, well, if you watch <laughs> the first, if you listen to the first episode of Binge Mode Harry Potter, shout out Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion, they basically explain that the cool part of Harry Potter is they... Oh, invert the hero's <laughs> journey because the hero's journey is like this unknown dude that nobody believes in just does something cool. And Harry Potter is the opposite. Harry Potter is the story about a kid who everyone in, like doesn't know he's a wizard and everyone in the wizarding world thinks he's a celebrity and this really like has huge expectations for this kid to basically be wizard Jesus, like a messiah. And he's like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Jesus. And he's the first millennial hero <laughs> so they because he's the school. first hero for a generation of kids <laughs> who were told you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you you know pursue your passion, your you know you, just magic basically. And so the expectations put on kids who were like, you can be whatever you want to be. Harry Potter is the stand-in for someone who's just kind of there, and everyone's telling him you're great. 
And he's like, okay, what do I do with that? And okay, it so what is that? Well. What? How does that? Tra- give me a parallel for mm-hmm. dynasty football now, fantasy football. <laughs> uh, I would say the parallel is probably Jonathan Taylor. Okay. Mm. <laughs> All right. No, I don't. Jonathan know. Jonathan Taylor is Harry Potter. No, it's probably Trevor Lawrence, to be honest. DK, you should start flexing on people and really showing what you believe, and just not including the forty in your draft guides. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I think we're doing that this year because there wasn't a combine. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's true. laughs> There's no 40 time. Zoom 40. You just watch him run over Zoom. All right. Well, we're producing Zoom 80 minutes on this podcast. So, I think that's all we got here. But, DK, just to button this up in a yeah. sentence, does the combine matter or not? Nah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Glad nah. you feel something about Russell Wilson. Uh, I'm happy that you've come to some sort of peace here. It sounds like you've made a lot of progress. <laughs> all right. Thank you, DK. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Russell Wilson, for all the content. You can listen to DK and I on Fridays on the Ringer NFL show. We're doing the big board. It's fun. We're ranking a bunch of stuff. Check that out. And, of course, mm. I mean, who, where would we be if not? Thank you, Lorne. Lorne. Thank you, Sierra. Superstar, yeah. pop star. Pop superstar. Sierra. You don't even know her name. No, I think it's, it's actually pronounced Sierra. It actually is pronounced Sierra. This is just like Mariota and Camara all over again. We don't even know how to pronounce this. It's yeah. like Sierra. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, who knows? Ringerfantasyfootballgmail.com. We got that wrong. <laughs> I don't wrong. think anyone knows, Craig. Scholars maintain that Sierra. <laughs> the next trivia showdown will be about how to pronounce Sierra's name. <laughs> See you guys on Wednesday. <laughs>